Well, we are finally back. It's been a while. And for once, it's not raining. It's a miracle, honestly. We've we've been through it with the, the weather. Yeah, we are at a beach for once because it's not raining and it's sunny. Yeah, we recorded once on a beach. It was a while ago, though. Oh, so long ago. So, so many wet days ago. So, so, so many wet, damp clothing days. Yeah. it's. Um, we are still drying out. And yeah. it, it hasn't rained for like a week now. But sorry sorry for the bit of a break. Uh, we just kind of fell behind and we're like, you know what? It maybe maybe a break's not a bad idea. We kind of got sick and we had work and just everything. Mm-hmm. But we're back to talk about bananas. Yes, because that is the thing that kept us from this uh, this podcast was bananas. Bananas. So many bananas. Wow, that's bananas. We're talking thousands, thousands of bananas. I'm I'm gonna say that's bananas probably about a dozen times throughout this podcast. You know, I if I remember, which is doubtful, honestly. I think it's the first time I've heard you make that joke. I know. And now you're just committed to yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, it's such a good opportunity for that joke. <laughs> I just love the immediate commitment. Like, <laughs> I didn't even catch it because it's so new. And then you're like, okay, that's, our, that's the joke now. Yeah. Well, anyways, we're going to talk about bananas because we learned a lot about, well, I learned a lot about bananas. <laughs> Such a sassy face. We are currently at Mission Beach in Queensland, Australia, right outside of where we have been living in El Arish. El Arish, yes. There are mountains in the distance. It's kind of nice. Yeah, islands, actually. We're facing the ocean, so. Is that, are they islands or is it weirdly connected to the mainland? I can't tell, honestly. Yeah. I see beaches and I see hills and that's. Sounds about right for Australia. Yeah, this is a very nice area of the country. They actually have some like pretty big mountains. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like it might, some of them might be comparable to like our, uh, I don't know if you've been on it, but like Fort Mountain near where I'm from. It's like, it's not huge, it's not small. It's like a decent sized mountain, okay. just there. But yeah. No, I have, I have not been to okay. that mountain. Well, I can show you that mountain Learn sometime. something new today. <laughs> but that's kind of the size that it reminds me of. Yeah. Well, yeah, beautiful area. We've been hiking around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Nothing too crazy. We'd like to before we leave the area. Mm-hmm. Maybe hike the big one. They say it's expert level. I don't trust it. Anybody who says anything about hiking and when one person goes, oh, it was easy. And the other person's like, absolutely not. I'm like, I immediately don't trust this. <laughs> one of you is sporty and I know which one it is. <laughs> one thing that we found out that's crazy is they say that they have leeches on their trails. So like you're oh, just, yeah. you're just walking and a leech will attach itself to you. I was so incredulous by this fact that the people that we were talking to thought I did not know what a leech was. And I was like, no, 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 I know exactly what a leech is. I'm used to leeches attaching to you underwater. Yeah. And they were like, underwater, really? I was like, yeah, yes, that's, yeah. that's the normal habitat of leeches, not dropping on you in the middle of a rainforest like yeah it's that's horrifying they have ticks here too so they basically have ticks and then they're like oh but we have level two ticks yeah known as leeches <laughs> in the trees so that's that's wild no biggie no um, biggie you know 
I ricochet wildly between Australia is actually a pretty normal place with like normal <laughs> flora and fauna and then just swing right back to hey Australia what the heck <laughs> yeah I was cleaning dishes the other night like literally last night <laughs> um in the little campground kitchen we have and I saw something move out of the corner of my eye and I was like uh, my my brain subconsciously told me what I saw, and I was like, eh, maybe not. Maybe it was a lizard. Maybe something. Who knows? No, it was a huntsman spider. It, like, peeked up over the edge of the sink again, and I was like, ooh. Even though I'm not, like, really scared of those anymore, it still just makes you go like, oh, I don't know if I want to be that close to that. It's really fun uh, really testing your, like, instincts as a human (laughs) in Australia uh, because you get to learn really fast if your subconscious brain knows the difference between a lizard and a spider. (laughs) Um, And it's kind of horrifying the number of times that it turns out to be the second instead of the first. Yeah, and I found out my brain, I think we've already talked about this story, my brain already knows the difference between the sound that a snake might make. Oh, yeah. And the sound anything else might make. Because I jumped when I had that snake, like, right next to me, and we, like, both moved. And I, I just, my brain was like, run. That, that's <laughs> not good. Run. That is, you should be far away from that. Run. <laughs> that sound is a bad sound. <laughs> we don't like that sound. <laughs> <laughs> so... That has been our experience. Finally got some dry weather. They claim this isn't their wet season and that we're finally, hopefully, out of the rain in a lot of ways. Um, Most of the locals have told us in some way, shape, or form, this is not how it usually is. Yeah. And at this point, I don't know if I should believe them. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either. It's It's been rough. Yeah. Um, we did good news. I mean, we have several news things. Okay, first, Osmo update. We had leaks. We fixed said leaks. That's right. I I am very proud of us. We found where they were coming from, and we siliconed them up. Yeah. I'm proud of you. That was all you. You helped on the second I one. I poured water. <laughs> yes, and I needed that water. Um, we also, one of our bosses helped blow out a few of the like pipes that um, are supposed to help the thing drain and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So between all of that, we're dry mm-hmm. and Finally. good. Um, the the drying out process was also an adventure because it was just kind of like, oh, this is damp. Oh, this is also damp. Oh, <laughs> is there a single dry item in this van anymore? Yeah. The answer was no. They had to all dry out. It was, it was fun. Yeah, things just won't dry here because you'll get rain for like a week straight. And you can have something just sitting in a dry area and it will just stay damp yeah. for days. I have never been in a situation where I've like gone out into rain and then been like, there's no coming back from this. <laughs> like, there, there is no coming back from being damp and uncomfortable. Because where I go at night is also damp and uncomfortable. <laughs> like, and, and, and I know that we're in a van. But even for normal people, I feel like the humidity is so high all the time. Yeah. That even if you're in a house that doesn't leak, you still get like, all, your bedding gets damp. And yeah. your clothes get damp. And your towels get damp. So when you're taking a shower and you're drying off, you're not actually fully drying off. No. You're just making yourself less damp, slightly. Yeah. Like, and it's just it's just not an experience that I expected to have. Yeah, it was a bit a bit rough at times, but we are fixed up. We're actually been cleaning up the van, getting ready to hopefully take some pictures and try to sell it here soon. Um, I'm very proud of the the strides that Osmo has made in the past few weeks because we have cleaned 
a lot, <laughs> a lot of her surfaces. Yeah. Um, and she looks a lot more sparkly, brand new, and I'm I'm very excited for her. Yeah, she looks quite a bit better than even when we uh, first bought it. So yes, it's been upgraded, cleaned, fixed. a lot of mechanical issues fixed. So many fixes. I really think we might actually set somebody up nicely, whoever's yeah. next. Don't so. feel like you're handing them a, a money pit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's nice. And then I think the last big update is we have booked our diving. I think we actually, I don't think we had booked it the last time we recorded. So we booked it for September 7th, which might come a little earlier. We'll see. We may try to uh, bring that in quicker. Playing by ear. Yeah, and we have our medical stuff set for early next week. We keep having to move it because we both got sick at different times. And the medical is important because they check your lung capacity and you don't need to be, like, hacking and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, so. turns out coughing during a medical is not conducive towards understanding lung capacity. <laughs> True. And, like, you probably hear right now I sound super congested because I still am. I'm a little congested still, but I was the one that passed it to Jesse. You're welcome. Yeah. So granted, I've gotten over it a little faster than he has. It's because my immune system's better. It held it off as long as it could. And meanwhile, I just got it all over with in like three days. <laughs> yeah. But yes, we are here to talk about bananas. Yes, bananas. Uh, which, uh, before we started, I was actually remarking about how learning about any piece of agriculture uh at this point feels like learning forbidden knowledge yeah like you feel like you're learning like eldritch arcane like ancient secrets because you realize that you don't know a gosh darn thing about the stuff that you're putting in your mouth yeah and the second that you start learning about it you're like oh this feels i don't know whether to feel blessed or cursed by this information yeah and not only like do you understand how it grows you you're also just like, oh, this is what a banana assembly line looks like. And this is how they harvest the bananas. Yeah. And this is, they just, it just all feels, after you've been there for a bit, you're like, this little barn brings me all my bananas. There's little barns like this all over the world. This bringing me bananas. Bringing me barn bananas. Barn bananas. Barnanbas. <laughs> Barnan, bananas? There we yeah. go. <laughs> uh, it is. It, it is a weird feeling. And it ruins you in some ways. Because, like, one thing that we got to experience was a fresh banana. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, so, so, pretty much all bananas that are harvested for commercial purposes, at the very least, are harvested green. Yes. All of them. So, all of the bananas that come into the shed and are packed are also green. There are bananas that are, like, taken off the assembly line that are, like, they might look a little bit bad, but they're still, like, good to eat, whatever. Um, you know, some that accidentally fall off the, the clusters or whatever, um, that get packed into a box and put in their own like little airtight shed, yeah. essentially, where the gas that's given off by the bananas, which I think is ethylene gas, um, ripens, like they uh, ripen yeah. themselves. Yeah. Um, but the way that it happens on the farm in the shed, for some reason, is different than the way that grocery stores do it to like speed up their process of ripening and put them on the shelves. Yeah. And that results in two very different banana tastes. Because I'm pretty sure with the grocery store ones, even when they're fresh like they are here, I think they still put some sort of like spray on them 
that helps that it probably is just that chemical you're talking about yeah. something like that yeah, that yeah, helps yeah. speed that up yeah but instead of the bananas just naturally like giving it off themselves yeah. it's like an artificial way to yeah. speed up the ripening process and that you wouldn't think that would make a difference it does yeah. it absolutely does um because i realized after working this job that i have before this point i've literally never tasted a banana without tasting banana sap specifically yeah and banana sap has a very distinct taste it is very like drying it's astringent um so whenever you eat like a green banana that like weird drying astringency taste is banana sap you still get a little bit of that even in a fully ripe yellow banana from the grocery store but when you eat a banana from a banana packing shed where they've been closed in a shed for like a week, they don't have that taste. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like, I even, this is weird. A lot of people consider me psychopath for this. I kind of prefer greener bananas from the grocery store. You are psychopathic for that, but I forgive you. Yeah, they're just a little <laughs> sweeter, and I don't know, I just... Not, what? They are, they're sweeter. Did you did you, did you hear me at all go through no, the whole No, I'm not thing? saying that they can't <laughs> sometimes maybe have what you're talking about. I'm just saying there's a sweeter taste to a, a green banana, in my opinion. But regardless, she's not wrong. When it comes to these, like, just perfectly ripe, fresh bananas... There is something about, like, for anybody that's grown anything in their own garden, it's like the subtle differences between what you get at the grocery store of, like, a tomato you've grown versus the grocery store tomato. Sometimes the difference is so subtle, it's, like, hard to put your finger on, but it's, like, it's so much better. It's so much better. And they're just so much better. The bananas it, are just so much better. It tastes amazing. I... <laughs> I don't I don't know how else to say it. The texture, however, is different. A little bit. Because yeah. the texture like it like falls apart easier. In oh, your mouth way easier, yeah. When it's like shed ripened like that. Even oh. the peeling just falls off. Yeah, oh all of it. It just yeah. like falls apart. Which like that's part of like it's perfectly ripe. But also like it 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 if you're not prepared for it, it's a little weird. <laughs> yeah. It's just a little weird. <laughs> And I feel like talking about ripening bananas, there's a, so one thing that'll happen sometimes out in the paddock, they call them like, they call the fields basically, the banana fields as a paddock. And so what'll happen sometimes out in the paddocks is say there's for some reason a banana bunch was too large, it'd been left too long, or say it got dropped and so it's bruised, or say any amount of things could have happened. Like for whatever reason, that banana didn't need to get harvested. They will literally just leave the banana on the ground and they will chop it and the chopping just helps the bananas decay faster so big machetes yeah big machetes if you like knives banana harvesting is for you you get to be a swordsman <laughs> like, we'll get to that it's crazy um but they cut these bananas and let them rot well sometimes they miss a few in the bunch or they just forget to cut it all together so you will be walking along and there is no greater joy in banana farming <laughs> Then, like, walking along, you're about halfway through the day, maybe later, you're exhausted. Especially if you've been, they call it, like, when you're lifting the bananas, they call it banana humping. If you've been humping bananas all day, you're exhausted. And you're walking along, and all of a sudden, you look to the side, and there is just these just rotting, beautiful yellow bananas. <laughs> <laughs> Uncut, to, to be clear, not chopped up. They're still rotting, though, but it's beautiful. <laughs> you need them, because they, when they're left, they're green. 
You give it some time, they turn yellow. Um, I think you mentioned it once. That basically, fruit is just strategically picking the fruit when it's rotting at the right point. Like, yeah. that's basically <laughs> what it is. I basically had, like, this light bulb moment where I realized that what we describe, what we humans describe as ripeness is just picking a point where humans find rotting favorable. Yeah. That's it. That's pretty much all it is. And I'm sure it's more complicated than that because I'm sure there's like, oh yeah, chemical stages and all of that. But like, genuinely, it's really just picking a stage that we like in, in, in terms of like rot. Which... And I feel like there may be fruit, other fruits that don't follow that rule exactly, but bananas, I totally agree with you. <laughs> because they don't turn yellow until they're off the tree. So it's like, I, you know, it just, yes. Basically what I'm saying is you find a banana on the ground, as long as it's not been busted or cut, it's an amazing treat. Yeah. I'm amazing. still not 100% sure if it'll turn yellow if it stays on the tree. I don't know I think either. I think they will. It just never happens in commercial purposes. I They might just fall off the tree. I don't know, man. That's a good question. I can't believe I don't know this. This is like the most basic banana. I know so many other random obscure facts about bananas, but I don't know whether or not bananas yellow on a tree when just left. Yeah. Because commercial stuff. Yep. Commercial harvesting of, of fruit. Look, the the more you get into like commercial harvesting of agriculture, the more you realize just how wild our food supply system is. And I, that's a whole other topic that I'm not going to get into today because that is a very like deep and complex topic. But I, I also wanted to get a rep back around a little bit because we were talking about the the taste of bananas yep. and how most store bananas have like that banana sap taste and I realized there's a very important piece of information that I didn't qualify and that is that we are actually qualified to talk about the taste of banana sap and that is because it is impossible to work at a banana farm without getting banana sap in your mouth and in your eyes and on your face at some point yeah and the banana sap like bad enough when it like gets in your mouth or something like i actually just to see what it was like i cut open a really small green banana and just like took a bite to see what would happen again psychopath yeah it's it's not fun um <laughs> if you've ever eaten like a persimmon unripe very similar uh feel um but we like we'll be harvesting the bunches sometimes and you have to look up to grab we'll get into the full process but you have to look up to grab it and the problem is they've just cut the stem from the bottom and it's dripping sap. So if you're not careful, it will go directly in your eyes and it will be painful for a good like half hour if you're lucky. Like there was one day, I swear half the day my eye was irritated. Oh. It was so bad. Oh. Like they, your eyes get red. I mean, it, cause it just, it like gets in your eye. And like she said, it just creates so much friction and like, it's so painful. Well, banana sap is also really weird because when it first gets on you or it splashes on you and I know this because I did um, I did some of I did the packing work so part of that is like cutting up part like the big they're called banana hands like the big row of bananas you have to cut them up into clusters and that means that you're just flinging sap everywhere essentially yeah. and when it first lands on you you cannot tell the difference between banana sap and water it, yeah. it feels the exact same like temperature consistency everything you're like that was probably just water and then it starts drying yeah and banana sap is like one of the weirdest liquids i have come across just 
period. Because when it dries, it turns into like a weird gummy rubber super glue. Like you it, it's problematic honestly because yeah. if you're on the line and you're using a knife to like cut these banana clusters your knife will just get completely gummed up you have to clean it halfway through the day because you just have a fistful of banana sap that's all you're using to try to cut more bananas and it's so frustrating yeah it can be pretty bad um so like my hands right now still have like banana sap on them because they it gets dirt on it and then you can see it and it's been what two three days since we've last worked yep so it just and i've taken showers i'm not like sit there and tried to scrub every bit of it off but it like slowly comes off funny thing is if you're working in the rain if as long as you keep that like bit of moisture on you a banana sap just appears to like run off yeah like it mixes with the water yeah because and when i say i worked in the rain days and days and days of working in the rain oh, there's no. so much rain on that banana farm we were soaking wet most days yeah. and it's like i'm talking like it'll rain on you all day and this isn't a sprinkle this is storing and there is no oh yeah let's take a day off it's raining we did get off early one day but it wasn't a harvest day yeah and it was just like misery like yeah. it was so i I avoided the brunt of the bad because I got to work in the shed, which is where all the bananas get clustered and packed and then shipped out. So I was under a roof the majority of the time. I felt so bad for the boys because the boys had to go out banana humping and they would do it in pouring rain. There was one day, one day where I finally got to experience what like a bad rain was like and I was outside. Yeah. I was dumping water out of my boots every half hour. And that was like not even the worst day. That was like maybe the third worst day, maybe. Yeah. And I was just like I it was it was <laughs> it was one of those things where like we had managed to survive the drizzle in the first half of the day by like trying to like be competitive and like beat our times for things to like help with management of the, the bananas that's another whole thing but <laughs> by the time the rain just started like pouring down it was like no there is no way to make this fun this is suffer <laughs> this is just sit here and suffer yeah and then just hope that you can make it through the day it's, <laughs> it's funny first day we showed up i had like i don't know i assumed being out in the bananas like that where there's like a lot of animals it, that I was like oh you probably need to have like full pants on like you know long sleeves gloves like the whole deal um I got there and literally the boss was like yeah you're not gonna want to be wearing any of that um and it's because like halfway through the day I am so heavy with just water so he hands me a pair of shorts and then I was like so I've seen some of the guys working barefooted is that okay if I do that he's like yeah man so I was immediately barefooted just and I'd worked like that for probably a couple weeks straight just it was raining non-stop so it was just barefooted all the time because it's better than wet boots yeah and I mean like I they Otherwise talked about it because they were like you really foot. embraced the whole barefooted thing because <laughs> like I did I couldn't stand it the first couple weeks it was just too it's wet it's rough like walking around in wet socks is maybe like God's greatest curse that he has bestowed on mankind yeah and that's that's just putting it lightly i feel because it's like the devil tempts you <laughs> like you get violent <laughs> you feel those wet socks and you just <laughs> <laughs> the whole way back and you're like oh 
oh, I gotta, I'm gonna sin if I don't get this off. <laughs> yeah, and those work boots really do make that noise because I wore them a couple days. Like they weirdly hold water in there where it literally makes that noise. It's so <laughs> like, bad. Going. It's so bad. Yeah, it really is. Uh, um, my patience wears very thin when I'm wearing wet socks, and maybe I just have like a weird hatred for wet socks that other humans are fine no, with. No, I do. I hate them. Too. <laughs> like, I feel like it's pretty universal to just be filled with anger when when your feet are just constantly damp and just schleppy. Yeah, I'm convinced that I forgot what I'm convinced of. <laughs> I had something I was totally convinced of. <laughs> Um, wow, real flexible oh, conviction. There, there we go. <laughs> I'm convinced that everyone would go barefooted if we had not invented glass. That is one of the only reasons I don't walk <laughs> barefooted everywhere. After doing it for the on the banana farm that long, like, well, one Australia. Okay, for those of you that go barefooted quite often in the U.S., most places in the U.S. you can you like look for grass that's where you look to walk oh yeah because grass is usually soft and comfortable and usually pure bermuda yeah it's safe and it's like okay if the gravel hurts right now i go to the grass and you're fine i have learned the hard way so many times the grass is the most dangerous place in australia <laughs> when i say like all of their painful things that can stick into your feet are in their grass yep. walk on anything but the grass anything but the grass and that's because Honestly, I think it's because in a lot of areas of Australia, the grass is the only green thing that's there, which yeah. means anything and everything is going to try to eat it. So instead, <laughs> they just grew thorns to be like, you can't eat me. I'm yeah. just going to stay green and I'm going to stay here and you can't eat me because I like being thorny. Yeah, it's horrible. Like it, It's a pain that like, uh, I'm trying to think of something to compare it to. If you've ever been, this is very specific, most of you probably won't be able to relate to this, but if you've ever been stabbed by a catfish, the spines <laughs> on a catfish, there is something about their spines that actually causes the pain to get like worse as time goes on. It, it doesn't just go away. Yeah, there's like a chemical that, that gets into your skin and it makes your nerves hate you. Yes, it's a very similar deal with the stuff in their grass like mm -hmm. you will get stabbed and you're like ow that hurt and then you pull it out and then 10 minutes later you're like this hurts worse than it did when it happened yeah. like yeah. it's <laughs> so bad what was the i'm trying to remember the name that they've called some of those spikies i can't even remember it sounded like like a person's name i think you're right i and don't remember what it's called <laughs> whenever it happened and somebody like told me what the name of it was i was like man that poor person like who, why, why would they name something after them? That's, that's horrible. Before we move on from the rain, I did want to mention uh, there's a legend on the banana farm that we were just on. And that legend is that there is a crocodile there. Um, the crocodile, I never saw it. And most of the people I talked to had not seen it. But there is claimed to be a crocodile in one of the streams near the back of the farm. And there was one day, it never got this bad with us, but it had rained so badly that one of the paddocks, if not multiple paddocks, were completely flooded. And when I tell you completely flooded, I was told that they were like knee to hip high. Like they were very, very flooded. And they still made those guys harvest during that period. And Crazy. they said they were all so nervous. <laughs> Cause like at that point, the crocodile literally has full range of the entire farm. Um, it is not like a, 
you know, it's no longer contained to streams, and it, it's deep enough that you can't see it coming if it were there. Oh yeah, I mean, crocodiles only need about knee deep water. Yeah. Like full grown crocodiles only need about knee deep water to be able to be just completely hidden. Yeah, because we learned like their scales on their back actually keep the ripples from the water from showing. So you actually get like it. Yeah, it's impossible to see them. Um, until you like see their little eyes and you're like, ah, and then you run for your life. Um, but <laughs> the, uh, or slosh for your life <laughs> as, as the case may be. One of the guys I worked with, he was like, I'd step on trees every once in a while. Uh, cause the trees will be on the ground sometimes. And he would just like freak out. He's like, what was that? Um, but they were constantly <laughs> watching out for those crocodiles during that period. But luckily we never had it that bad. Yeah. The crazy part about the flooding periods here though, I've heard is it like, even if there aren't any crocodiles there normally, there will be crocodiles that go that far inland. Like Sometimes, if, if it's yeah. flooded far enough to where it can connect saltwater bodies to freshwater bodies, they'll go inland, like yeah. hundreds of kilometers sometimes. And yeah. we are not that far away from the ocean in El Arish. Like right now we're like a stone throw away from the ocean, but yeah. in El Arish, we're not that far from the ocean. Yeah, and I mean, that's the crazy thing is like, where we're at is pretty known that like the beach we're at is pretty known for like not having crocodiles but like theoretically it's possible it's like they're saltwater crocodiles they can go in the ocean and they can be here so um the chances of you getting attacked by a crocodile are low but never zero yeah we were i was actually we met some people uh that we were hanging out with one night and he was like yeah you guys should try the kayaking on this river and i looked at him and i was like how are you going to convince me there's not a crocodile in there and he goes um i can't but normally the reports are that they're just farther down the river. <laughs> I was like, he goes, and there have been some reports that they're in that area, but I think it was just for publicity. Like, they, and I was like, yeah, think I'm good on the kayaking and that stream. I'll skip that one. Thank you. <laughs> oh man. So that is, oh, I did wish the rain on you one time. I you was did. Like, that was the time where it got really bad. You <laughs> literally wished it on me the and, night before. And then I had to look at everybody else. I was like, I'm sorry. I really wanted Natalie to experience this rain, so I've cursed us all. <laughs> we have, all of us have this rain for today. It was great. It was, it was so much fun. I say that with the utmost sarcasm in my voice. Um, so why don't you tell everybody about your favorite animal and the way your experience so with them. before we get to that actually i feel like we've kept alluding to the life cycle of the banana uh, yeah let's talk and about i it. feel like we should walk through how bananas grow are cultivated are harvested and then how they end up in the supermarket for your enjoyment <laughs> okay uh Do you want me <laughs> your, to cover the first specifically. part specifically yours jesse your enjoyment specifically only yours nobody else is allowed bananas <laughs> Would you like me to cover the part that I did and then you cover the part that you did? Or how do you want to... Let's talk first about... Let's back it all the way up. Let's talk about how the bananas form because this part is wild. It is buck wild to me. And so I have to share it because it makes me really like weirdly excited about bananas. So let's actually start by talking about how the little baby banana tree comes up out of the ground. And... This is fun because this does not follow the typical pattern of fruit. Like I'm used to, okay, you plant a tree in the ground and it makes one tree and then fruit comes off of the tree and the tree just keeps producing fruit. But as you very quickly realize when you start working at a banana farm, these trees do not stay. <laughs> yeah. These are not permanent trees. What happens is 
in a very weed-like fashion, there is a there is a mother banana tree that has been like it's it's probably actually the great 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 grandkid of like the original mother banana tree and you'll see why there's like a mother banana tree that is like just about to be harvested or just harvested and then there's a little baby banana tree right next to the mother because they grow off of each other's like root systems and so they propagate by um volunteers essentially they they, yeah. they just propagate fully through volunteers and you there's pick it's not like a seed no it's like there a, isn't a seed. it's more like a tubular what is it called There's it's, a name um it. a rhizome yeah yeah a rhizome basically a root cutting kind yeah. of 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 these uh, bananas so you don't you just don't do it with seeds the original bananas like way back when had these big seeds that you had to like eat around but we've bred those out because that's not fun to eat around so bananas don't do seeds very well anymore if you've noticed while you eat bananas so you have this little tiny banana sapling next to this mother tree it's that, called a sucker is it called a sucker yeah a little sucker yeah um and usually you've had to like pull out or more like shovel out the other banana saplings that were competing to be the one to be chosen but uh, failed because they either weren't in the right place or they just weren't good enough yeah it's um, actually a wild process they give you this tiny little shovel sharp little shovel uh you wouldn't expect to use a shovel i don't know you think they just machete it because they machete everything but they give you a little tiny shovel and they call it barring out and you go out there and literally you will keep like she said the mother tree and one sucker off the mother tree and they like there's a way to like identify which one's growing in the right direction and like you basically just want two trees per little yeah. segment it's yeah. very interesting i mean you will take out massive trees when i say like you'll look at it you're like there's no way we're taking that tree out and then they'll look at it like take it out and you're like but it's so huge there's gonna be a banana on that any day <laughs> and they're like no kill it and you're like no and then you literally get to just watch a whole massive banana tree fall to yeah. its death yeah and something to know about the banana trees the way that they work like physically biologically is they have very shallow root systems so they're pretty dang easy actually yeah. to like uproot and then just like push over and they are also like 80 percent water yeah. um they're just like a bunch of like inner inner rings that are just filled with like individual cells that have a lot of water in them yeah. and when i say individual cells i don't mean like oh little tiny plant cells i mean like the size of, of grains of rice or bigger yeah. cells it's basically like big straws just yeah. going up the tree yeah, full yeah. of water and, and she's not wrong about the shallow roots like when you have a lot of rain if you're not careful when you're harvesting which again i won't i won't spoil how we harvest <laughs> but when you're harvesting like you have to watch out that the tree does not fall on you like one yeah. of the things i was told early on it was like if you if you hear me shout like watch out watch out watch out it's just like leave like leave the area because the banana tree is going to fall on you so yeah. like you have to be careful when it, the ground's super wet because yeah. the roots are so shallow yeah so banana trees are very temporary essentially that is the the moral of this story is banana trees are very temporary they're a weed um they are treated kind of like a weed and um as this baby banana grows up um you'll go through like you'll strip the dead leaves off of it and sometimes you'll take some of the damaged leaves off um and at a certain stage in a young banana's life, uh, it will send out something that is called a bell. 
and that comes from like the center of the plant and yeah. up like through the leaves through the top of the tree yeah it is this like cluster of reddish green leaves but they're they start out pretty much fully green so it's hard to spot yeah it's <laughs> so like if you look at the growth of a banana like you said like you always have those green leaves that come out. if you just look it's like the leaf grows out of the center every time a new leaf starts mm -hmm. she's right like the bell does that exact thing and I was, I was trying to think of something to compare the look of the bell to i mean you, of course you can just google it but like i I almost it made it. Kind of looks like a dragon fruit, like a giant dragon fruit. Maybe I almost made an obscure video game reference that most people won't get, but like the Pikmin game, the little onions <laughs> that they stay in. It's like yeah, it's kind of like that. Like yeah. it's it's just the shape of it is very much like that game. It yeah. reminds me of. But anyway, yes, it's very odd. It comes out of the center, and yes, but it's big and it's kind of like uh, arrow shaped ish, but three D. There's there's a, there's a there's a word for it, like, like you know, like a plumber's line. Okay, like a teardrop. Like shape. a plumb bob. Is yes, like it's a kind of like a teardrop yeah. shape. Teardrop. That is the most common normal thing to describe it with, and it took me like five tries to get there. Um, so it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like a teardrop shape. But it comes out so weird, almost like a little tentacle, like and it it bananas grow pretty fast, so like it starts happening pretty quick. Yeah. But. Um, they, yeah, it'll just start coming out of the center. And when it comes over, and you may have been about to hit it, but it kind of droops over the side. Yeah. It's so heavy, it, like, as soon as it gets just, like, a couple, like, maybe two feet out of the maybe, tree, yeah. it starts to just off yeah. to the side. Um, and that's actually a really important stage for bananas because if you are trying to cultivate bananas, a lot of things like to eat them. And they are susceptible to... Uh, several different kinds of diseases as well and from what I understand of the injection process so th there is a process called injecting yes. where you essentially go around and you take a big pointy thing and you stab these bells before they start flopping over and you inject them with like all kinds of good stuff to keep it from getting like monched and yeah. diseased I think the way it was described to me, I believe it's essentially just an insecticide. Okay. It's like, I think it just keeps the bugs out. Um, and it is one very large game of I Spy. It is, <laughs> and it's honestly exhausting when you're covering acres. I only had to do this once. Um, and I was actually just being taught, trained, and they never actually had me do it again. So it was pretty pointless. But I was walking behind somebody that actually knew how to do it. And when I say it's hard to do this job, it was so difficult. You'd be walking and like, you'll walk by trees that have these bells all in them and you just cannot see them. Sometimes they're blocked by leaves. When they're first coming out, they're not as red, I don't feel mm -hmm. like. So like, they're a little bit greener. They almost look like a leaf. And it's very important that you catch it at that stage before it mm -hmm. starts drooping. Because when you inject it, all the, all the liquid, whatever it is, ends up going down into the bell and it covers the entire bell so it keeps it from uh it keeps it from any of it not getting covered but if it droops over the side then it's hard to inject it in a way that the entire bell gets covered by the by the juices yeah. so because you essentially would just inject it and it would just run straight out because yeah. gravity so it's really important that you catch it early and it is hard to see it early every once in a while you'll find one because they'll spray paint the tree 
after they inject it. So the injecting is basically when the clock starts. Yeah. They inject it, they'll put a number, whatever that number is for that week, on the tree in a certain color, and that is when the clock starts. Yes. Because what happens is, after it's been injected, or missed, potentially, (laughs) the bell, like, droops over, and these first few green leaves that are covering the bell that make it, like, hard to distinguish start to peel back. And as it's peeling back, you see these, like, little tiny rows of, like, little tiny baby, almost, like, yellow flowers. Yeah, they look just like blooms. But they look like they look like tubes with tiny little flowers at the end yeah and the tubes are like really weirdly fleshy and compact and that is because when you are looking at this tiny like matchstick sized tube that is a baby banana yeah it's crazy it doesn't it it, it ever so slightly resembles a banana barely ever so slightly barely so these you, you see like rows of these things of like like it could be like 20 30 at a time all just in the neat little rows covered by all these different leaves. So as the bell develops and these leaves peel back and those little tiny banana rows start growing and getting size, like you see the dimensionality of the bell. Like basically they just, it just opens up like a spaceship over time. Yeah. And each, each layer like comes out and starts growing. So the biggest bananas you always get on the top of the bunch and the smallest bananas you always get at the bottom because the, the biggest bananas have had the longest time to like grow and, yeah. and, and gain that. You know, it, it doesn't happen all at once. It happens over a, a sequential period. And the further you go, the deeper red that bell gets. It goes from like that green to like the red and, and then it just keeps getting redder and redder and redder. And you, you end up with this like dark maroon bell at the end of this big stalk that has all of these banana hands hanging off of them. And the hands are like each row of yeah. those little tiny banana babies. And they will actually snap that bell off, the end of that bell. Yeah. Because inside that bell are like more little tiny baby bananas, but they will never really get the chance to, to be bananas yeah. because it's just a waste of energy for the plant to like try to put energy into growing those last few layers. Yeah. So and they that, just snap them off. That's actually something that they do a lot when we're out harvesting even with the bananas that aren't near ready they'll go up and you see all of these bells hanging down and they'll literally just take their machetes these master swordsmen of men and they will just like (laughs) slice them without even looking hardly they'll just go under and like just bells this is funny i forgot to tell you this i was walking one day and there is a process that i do that we can cover a little bit called butt injecting it's a weird different kind of injecting (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah different one there's a lot of injecting in this job and uh, I looked down one day, and there was one of these bells sitting perfectly upright, like point down, huh. like a top would spin. That's kind of what it's shaped like. It's like, it's a, like top, a top, yeah. yeah, when it's spinning. And it was perfectly just sitting there. And I was like, what? And I picked it up, and whatever had happened, when they cut it, it fell, and it was stiff enough that it stuck in yeah. the ground. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize how like hard that was. But it was literally just mm-hmm. stuck in the ground. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they slice these things off yeah. all the time. And it those waste. bells are really dense. Yeah. They're they're like, you you take this like, um, at, at, by the end of it, it's kind of like a softball sized like yeah. red bell, and you you like you're like oh that's a weird thing and you like poke it and you expect it to be like there's air in there somewhere yeah 
It's, it's not. Dense. It's, <laughs> it's so solid. It is like it, it would hurt just as hard as a softball. Yeah, it would. Um, and softballs are not soft. They yeah. are. It's a misnomer. They hurt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you snap that that bell off, and you let the rest of the bunch develop. And as that bunch grows, uh, you end up putting a bag over it. Actually, yeah. that's like part of it is bagging and stringing is they they tie a bag on top of the bunch to like protect it from other stuff that will eat it and then they also tie a string to like the top of the crown of the tree and that string is really interesting you learn this whole sequence of tying knots when you're on the job because that string essentially needs to lead to a different banana tree where you will pull it upright like just a little bit to where there's tension on the string so that it keeps it from snapping in half and falling over as that banana bunch gets bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger. Because again, the the root system is very shallow. Very. And a lot of times it won't even be, I don't know if I ever saw one snap in half, it'll literally just rip it out by the roots. Yeah. Like the whole tree yeah. will just fall. And I, I saw a couple, especially as that ground was so wet, that just fell. Um, it just the banana bunches are so heavy. Yeah. And to, like even to rewind just a little bit, we never had to do the bagging, but like it was interesting. You'd have these people on uh, like extending like boom lifts, those like cherry pickers. In this case, banana pickers, and uh, <laughs> they would go down the rows and they would just put the bags on after a certain point. And I heard, I was told, sometimes information's wrong. It depends who's training you, how long they've been there. Um, but they said that the bags, a lot of times, one, it helps maybe protect for some bugs and stuff, but it also is very good at, I think, protecting from the sun, actually. Okay, um, yeah. I think sometimes just the weather and uh, can take a toll on the bananas. Mm -hmm. And they also spray something up in it. it Maybe more insecticide. I don't know what it is, but, like, as they're bagging it, they mm -hmm. spray yeah. uh, more in it. Yeah, and, and one of the most important things about the bananas is as you're growing them, you're trying to keep them from getting any kind of physical blemish on them. Yeah. Because they are pretty dang strict about how blemished that banana can be before you like pack it in a crate and send it to the market. Yeah. So there a lot of these measures are being taken just so that you can create the perfectly like pristine banana. Um so basically a lot of uh, some time has passed usually about like nine weeks i think between baby banana and full-grown like adult ready to go banana yeah and on harvest day i think you can actually tell us a little bit more about how harvest day works yeah how how many weeks is it is it nine weeks i think it's nine to ten weeks yeah. um in the winter it slows down a little bit okay yeah because i feel like we were moving a little bit slower so for the harvesting, if you had given me a hundred guesses as to how you would harvest a banana, I I just would have I would have never gotten it. I just had no idea. It's the wildest process mm -hmm. because, like you said, you imagine with most fruit trees that's like, oh, the tree grows, you baby it for so long, and then finally producing fruit after like years of us taking care of it and now the tree is here for generations and it will always produce fruit and it's beautiful and it's great and by the way you just pick the fruit and then that's the fruit yeah if you have to you get a ladder you yeah. know like that's it that's what it is not bananas <laughs> so the bananas they're in big old bunches 
as the song says, I think it's five, six foot, seven foot bunches, big old bunches. And to clarify, there is only one bunch per tree. One bunch. As previously explained, there is only one bell. Yes. And when this tree has produced its bunch, that's what it produces. It's done. No more production for that tree. So it produces its big old bunch. And most of the bunches we had, you had a few that were probably pushing four or five foot. I would say they didn't really get much bigger on this farm. They can for some farm. We there's actually slightly off topic. There's a fair that was in town, mm-hmm. and they because it's just the local thing. They had like a banana, like <laughs> grade your banana competition. We didn't understand at all how they were grading it, but they had like these massive bunches. Yeah, and it was it was so fun to see. So definitely like six six foot, seven foot, eight foot bunches absolutely exist. Yeah. It, it's crazy, but we, I we were lucky. Yeah, I probably didn't have to lift any quite that big. Um, but basically, as the humper, which was me, you, I, I started to get pretty good at finding the trees later on. Um, there's basically a certain size that the tree is. They have uh, the machetes. A lot of times, we'll have what they call the gauge on the back, which is this piece that's screwed in. You can literally put it up on the banana just to check the size. You get pretty good at just eyeballing it though to kind of know what the right size is. Um, and like I said before, the trees are marked, so they'll put a number on the tree whenever they inject the bell. And whenever the number gets around to, they keep up with like what week it is. And whenever it's that number's time, you keep an eye on it and you, you don't just harvest it automatically. You still make sure cause sometimes they grow at different rates, but for the most part, it's time to harvest it. You harvest it. Um, you walk up, there's usually a cutter. Sometimes the cutter and the humper can be the same person, but usually there's a cutter and there's a humper. And the cutter finds the tree a lot of times, walks up, and there's a string, like Natalie said, that's attached to the tree. First thing, a lot of times they'll cut the string. They'll walk over. The funny thing is we spend all this time with these knots on these strings, making it really easy to untie, and then they just cut them. So, like, it's it's kind of funny. Like, it, they, there's so much effort gone into these crazy knots. And then they're just, like, slice. And they just move on. Um, but they cut the string so it frees up the tree. And then they go up. And these swordsmen take their machetes. And they slice an X. Maybe two, three X's into the side of the tree. They don't slice super deep. You don't want to cut the tree in half. You just want to just want to do a little damage. Score it. Score it. When I say, like, it doesn't even have to be a ridiculous amount of damage. You can take your fists and punch the tree. <laughs> like, it, that will work as well. So, like, there's there's been a couple moments where the cutter won't be there and you've already found a tree. And just for fun, you'll be like, huh. And so you just, like, hit it a bunch. And then you'll actually be able to do the next step, which is you pull on the tree in the direction that you just made the cut. And that can look a couple different ways. If it's a really, really tall tree, a lot of times the cutter will grab the string that he just cut off of the other tree it was attached to and just pull it. Uh, so you'll pull the string and it'll start to have the tree bend. Now, if it's a short tree, you can just grab the bottom of the stalk, which has been cut so it's easier to grab and easier to set onto the trailer. So you'll grab that and you'll just pull the bunch itself. That'll bend the tree. If it's an extremely tall tree, or your string has for some reason come untied. I've seen a trick only twice have I ever seen them do it. And it's kind of amazing. Uh, and I, I got to be a part of it, I think, once. Um, but if the tree is just unreasonably tall, they will cut a chunk out of the bottom of the tree that is about knee height 
and they will put their foot on that as a as a space to step and they will actually hoist themselves up by holding onto the tree and by using the piece they cut out as a place to put a foothold and then they'll grab the bottom of the stalk so they actually use it as a way to get like three four extra foot onto their height that's wild <laughs> yeah this is the first i've heard of this. i saw one of the guys do it one day it was a super tall tree and i was like is he just cutting the tree like what's because he just like started hacking at the bottom of the tree and i was like what's he doing and he cut like probably like a four or five inch like just hole out of the tree and then he put his foot and he climbed all the way up and he just pulled the thing anyway you start bending the tree as the tree bends it makes a very satisfying like cracking <laughs> noise and you pull the tree completely over where you cut it at. When that happens, there's the cutter. So you, at that point, the humper already has his hand on the stem. And for a long time, it wasn't surprised to be uh, surprised. It wasn't described to me very well because there was a language barrier between me and some of the guys. Uh, but when you go to put it on your shoulder, the for some reason my like gut reaction was to walk away from the tree i think because you're like oh i need to get away from the falling tree that's not what you do you actually walk into the tree you walk towards the tree huh. because as the bell when it, when the bell is first coming out of the tree it loops over it bends over to one side when you pull the tree you're pulling in the same direction and it means that when it goes on your shoulder the bell's stalk is actually naturally bending towards the tree so oh. it's a very easy just you walk into the tree and for the cutter it exposes the stalk so he can cut away from the the humper so there's a lot less like risk that he could cut the person that's doing oh. the humping so it's a very like when it's done right it's smooth i mean they will like <laughs> slice slice on your shoulders and then just slit like it just it's beautiful and like sometimes even as the humper i'm like how did he cut it that fast like, because everyone's like, I've had to cut it for somebody that's kind of in a tough position. And I'm so nervous to do it. Because when I just, when I tell you, these machetes are like, slice your arm off, sort of sharp. Yeah. They are terrifying. I have thought many times, like, what if they missed? Yeah. Like, and there's, uh, there's been a couple times. I'm kind of, so, yeah. There's been a couple times where I nearly cut myself. Oh, yeah. Because I'll be slicing and something will a lot of times every once in a while you'll be hacking and it won't cut and then suddenly you'll slice all the way through and your momentum nearly throws the machete out of your hand oh. i've actually saw somebody accidentally throw one he was like oops <laughs> but the thing is i've had it almost come and hit me like when uh -huh. i accidentally throw it out of my own hand and those things are oh they're so sharp they're very uh, very sharp uh one of the guys we worked with he actually had a like his dad's friend had worked on a banana farm he lost a finger like, That's horrifying. Was straight up just missing a finger because of it. Um, but anyway, the tree breaks, goes on your shoulder, cut the stalk, and the humper just takes it on to the trailer. And then... I'm sorry, pause. That was such a casual, like, people lose limbs on this job. <laughs> but, like, for real, people lose limbs on this job. Yeah. Bananas are crazy. Anyways. There's you, so many sharp things oh, on a banana farm. Oh, it's scary. Um... <laughs> So you were saying, put the banana on the trailer. On the trailer, um, which is pretty straightforward. There's like, it's a big trailer. I'd say it's uh, probably like a 20 foot trailer, two sides. It's got a little divider in the center. You just lean the bunches up and then you actually, all said and done, you end up putting another divider, you put more bananas. And when it's all said and done, there's about 
you can have as many as like 60 bunches on a trailer. That's quite a few bunches. Quite a few bunches. Especially when you consider that the bunches are not like clustered yet, which means you have no idea how many actual banana, like the bunches that you call bunches in the stores are not the bunches that we're calling bunches. Oh no. Cause like the bunches in the stores are what we would call clusters yeah. and the clusters come from each banana hand of which a bunch can have like what? 12, so 13 many. banana hands on it. The taller it gets, the more hands it has. Exactly. Um, and so, like, when you, I would say a 60 is when you have a lot of small bananas. You're probably dealing with anywhere from 40 to 50 big bunches that you yeah. can get on there. And I think I counted one. I mean, you, there's so many bananas on a bunch. Um, Lots of bananas. So, all that said, and then the, the cutter stays behind, and he literally cuts the rest of the tree down. Yep. Like, where he... So, basically, where he had bent it over, he just cuts it right past that bend. So, the there's still, like, half the tree standing there. But because it's missing its top half and the bell and everything is gone, the tree will just rot away. Yep. Um, That's the end of mama tree. Yeah, and then they take the string and they wrap it up so there's not just strings laying everywhere. Uh, and then you do that hundreds of times throughout the day. <laughs> Hundreds and hundreds of times. My legs have never been stronger. Yeah. Because, because w for each trailer load, right, that's a lot of bananas in, in one trailer load. You get probably like, what, 10? 10-ish trailer loads a day? So the most we ever, I think we ever did that was like full and we were just moving super fast was we did 15 trailers and if they're doing, say you were doing 50 on average per trailer, you're looking at 750 bunches. That's a lot of bunches. Yeah, which like, I would not doubt, that can't be right. That's so many bananas. Mental math. <laughs> I was doing the calculator, sorry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like my brain just took me off guard. <gasps> <laughs> That's not right. Um, but yeah, anyway, a lot of bananas. Um, yeah. But then and, it's your your part kind of comes in after right, that. Right, because the bananas end up making it to the shed, um, where, by the way, the bags haven't been taken off the bananas yet. No. Like, they're just bagged bananas just all laying up in this trailer. All but, we do is untie them uh, to make them easier to get off yeah, and stuff. That's yeah. all. And this trailer gets backed up into the shed. And at the shed is where all of the cleaning, clustering, and packing happen. And first you take off all the bags, hang them up, and then you end up hanging up the bananas themselves, the yeah. bunches. Which is a this. wild process. Yeah. Oh, that's, woo. It's like this big conveyor belt chain deal. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. I got to do it a little bit uh, if there was just like nobody else to do it because I wasn't very fast at it. But there's literally this chain. There's no hooks involved. No. Really. Like you would expect you just like hook the banana almost like. So imagine like the way in a butcher shop you like hang the carcasses, but there's no hooks. Like there's just bananas hanging everywhere and they're all hanging by chains. So it's all just gravity and friction that holds it in place. You basically loop the chain around the banana, put the put the chain on a hook and then it goes around. And so like that's basically right. the hanging part. There's like a cool little like pressure system that goes up and down. And it makes it easy to put it on. It's kind of fun. It's yeah, fun time. It's fun time. Um, and the bananas make it through like a one washing station where they're pressure washed. Um, and then it makes it to the clusterers. And clustering is uh, an art and a process. Um, basically what happens is you have somebody, generally what happens is you have somebody who is de-handing, which means they are taking that like top 
hand of bananas, taking a knife, slicing off that whole hand from the stalk that it is attached to in one clean fluid motion, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, and then they take that giant bunch, that giant hand of bananas, take it and lay it on a wheel. And it's not like a, a, a vertical wheel. Think of like a horizontal wheel. Um, like Wheel of Fortune style wheel. Yes, <laughs> yes. Where the one that you like grab and, and, and yeah. Anyways, <laughs> that is, is, it's like a two layer wheel system where you lay out the bananas. Yeah. And just to put it into, into perspective, because I, I realize now, having done a little bit of how to describe how much is on a hand, I would say just imagine you're at the grocery store and you're buying those little bunches that have probably like four to six bananas in those little bunches. And if it's a bigger bunch, when we get the hands off, there is anywhere I would say from 16 to like 25 bananas per hand. Because a lot of times you can cut it into like four, and you would know better than me, but sometimes those big hands get cut into like four, three or four different. Oh yeah, no. So, so the way that it works, the, you have guidelines as a cluster, okay? <laughs> you have like parameters to perform in, right? And those parameters are, you have to have, each cluster has to be three to eight bananas. That is the goal, is do three to eight bananas uh, per cluster. And it makes you faster as a cluster, the larger clusters that you go. But if you go too large, then it can be a pain to try to like correct that or it can be a pain to try to like wrestle them into place because they're just too big at that point. When you get the giant hands in, like the really Mongo huge ones, which is a giant pain. Um, <laughs> they're the worst ones to cluster. Um, I will slice some of those probably, sometimes five times. And that'll be four to five bananas per slice. Yeah. Because four to five is like manageable for large bananas. So probably a big hand is probably about 30 bananas. Yeah. 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 I, I would it's say so. It's crazy. Um, and you're just, you're just manhandling that hand, trying yeah. to like, the guys that are really good at the dehanding process make it look like gravity is not a thing because they just kind of like slice and then like gently toss it onto yeah. the wheel. And then you as a clusterer, like grab it and you're like, this thing is heavier than a bowling ball like this is like three bowling balls all glued together <laughs> and you have to slice the bowling balls apart now <laughs> <laughs> so i have tried the dehanding they had me do it a couple times it's one of the hardest jobs that i feel like we've i've come across on the farm in the sense that like it takes a long time to get good at it so if they can find people that are good at it, it's very valuable and they will like test pretty much everybody out to see yeah. if anybody's good at it there's one guy there that is worked there for like four years now and he's like she said it makes it look like gravity does not exist i i was de-handing beside him and i could go in slow motion i cannot produce the same cut that he was producing it was as if he was, I, I don't know, like I was using the same type of knife and it was just like I was sawing through concrete yeah. and he would just be like, sweep, sweep, sweep. <laughs> and they, like, by the time I would get one or two hands removed from like, a, who knows how many hands are on the bunches, he would have a whole bunch finished. Mm -hmm. And not only that, like tell him what else you have to do. Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> so when, so for the dehander, what the dehander is supposed to do, if they can, is dehand the whole hand, and then as they are bringing it to the person, sometimes 
after they've kind of brought it to the person, they're supposed to be pulling all of the bad bananas off. And bad bananas, in this case, is a little subjective, but the general rule of thumb is you can't have a flaw on the banana that is larger than your pinky nail. So if there is a flaw larger than your pinky nail on the banana, it goes. It's gone. If there's a bunch of little speckles, well, it's go- it, it goes. goes. It's gone. Basically, like, if it you has question, to look appetizing. if you question whether or not, not sure, just throw it away. It goes. Just throw it away. Which, by the way, the way that you throw it away is you toss it up onto another conveyor belt that is like basically taking all of those waste bananas and just moving it to a shredder outside yeah. that shreds up all the bananas. And the good thing is, it's not just food waste. Yeah. Like it's it. It actually goes somewhere good. Um, they feed it to cows. To the banana cows. To the banana cows. <laughs> um, either that or they will like toss it back into the paddocks where it will rot and that will just return nutrients to the soil. Yeah. But like a lot of the time it's it's cow feed. So like it works. And again, this like fast uh, dehander that I'm talking about, that man is dehanding and tossing bananas so wildly. Oh, yeah. That it looks like there's no method to it. It's just like bananas flying everywhere. Yeah. You're like, there's no way. Like, he's doing a good job, but he is. It's magic. I have watched it so many times. So, yeah, a good dehander is magical because the dehander will, like, take it, slice it off, will pull off all of the bad bananas, which is hard to do with hands that are very ungainly, um, <laughs> to, to put it minorly. Like, I, I can't even wrap my hands around. Like, I... I go to hug the hand, and some hands are bigger than my hug, you know? Yeah, they're um, awkward. It's they're very Even, awkward. It, like, I've got the strength to do it, but it's, like, they're just so awkward to yeah. hold. And, like, for the con- for for more context, I cannot de-hand. I just can't. Like, yeah. they never even tried me de-handing, and that is because I am too weak. <laughs> I just don't have the muscles for it. I would drop almost every single hand, and as soon as you drop the hands, those are bad bananas at, the, at that point because once they hit the floor, they're bruised. So if you drop bananas, you're supposed to toss it up into the, into the conveyor belt. So that's why they use strong people to de-hand because they don't want to risk dropping the bananas. So anyways, um, the, the de-hander takes the hand, pulls off all the bad bananas, hands it to the clusterer. And the clusterer's whole job is to put the bananas on the right place on the conveyor belt. Um, which is just to like fill in three rows of bananas and make like make them stand upright so they're easy to see and easy to grab uh, and then cluster them which is to do what we had described earlier which is to, to slice like slice the hand into like four three four or five sections sometimes only two um, and make sure that there are three to eight bananas per cluster so what happens is after you've clustered them after they've been quality checked they go through another major like wash to get any kind of extra debris or junk off of them and then they make it around to the packers and the packers will turn the wheel they'll like pull the wheel um to make it spin so that the bananas come to them and they will take the bananas and do banana tetris and that is where they take a big cardboard box and they just put a bunch of bananas in it. But they do it in a very organized fashion. Yeah. And then they put in a little conveyor belt and they put lids on the boxes. And it's really, 
not much to tell after that. They put, they stack a whole bunch of boxes on a pallet, um, and then they have, they just have a really specific way of glue and straps and orientation. So yeah, there's a very long, drawn out methodology of bananas that you never thought you would know. Yeah, and here's here's where things can go wrong, which is really fun because nothing ever goes to plan. <laughs> um, uh, it's actually my favorite part of the banana packing um, is when you get unexpected visitors uh, that kind of uh, backpacked in on, on the bananas. Um, the most common critter that you see coming out of these banana bunches, which you can find literally anywhere in the process, tree frogs. Giant green tree frogs which technically they're they're a white-lipped tree frog that's the species but they are big they are green they are the biggest tree frog in the world and they are everywhere yeah there's a lot you can have a day where if it's particularly froggy you'll get like 25 30 frogs that you have to that well you i (laughs) volunteered to carry out into the paddock so they would essentially slop them on a wall for the majority of the day until somebody could have time to defrog the shed. Because they just sit there. They just sit there. Most of, <laughs> most of them. Some yeah. of them are really feisty and they'll just jump everywhere. Uh, but most of them, as long as you put them in a spot where they're like, uh, probably safer here than anywhere else, they will just chill. Yeah. Uh, and then you stick them in a bag, a plastic bag, and then you take them out to the shed, not to the shed, to the paddock that is closest to the shed, and then you just put them on the trees. Yeah. And that was my favorite part of every packing day because I would be the one who got to do that most of the time. Yeah. Um, most other people didn't prefer to touch the frogs. Yeah. Um, and I thought they were adorable. And then creature number two is uh, lovely. I met him, I think, on my first, I think it was first day. Yeah. Got real up and close and personal with one of these guys. Um, was standing there hanging the bags back up and uh suddenly i hear someone shout something but again a bit of a language barrier there wasn't sure what he said so i turned around thinking i needed to like stop something or catch something and there's a snake staring at me just like right in the face like Ooh. real close um which we've been told that the majority of the time almost always anything that climbs so anything that's in a bunch on a tree anything like that is safe but if it's on the ground, you got to watch out. But we never I never saw one on the ground. So they're almost always in the bunches. Um, and I know you ran across a few as well. Yeah, there was one that made it all the way through the wheel. Yeah, like, that's crazy. to the Packers. <laughs> it had hit, hid in a bunch long enough to be de-handed, clustered, pressure washed, and then make it all the way around. And it was like, a, like you know the phrase danger noodle? No. To describe a snake. <laughs> no, that no, is no. that is an actual phrase, danger noodle, to describe a snake. These really looked like it. Like, that one did. I've seen one too. They yeah. had it had like a weird spade triangle head that was bigger than the rest of its body. Yeah, it's it looked weird. like an angry red shoelace, except for the head. Yeah, and she's not like it's not so there's the venomous snakes you have in America and like those have very it, yes, it's the same sort of triangle, but it doesn't interact with the body in the same way. Like she said, like the body of this is so tiny and the head is so big. 
It's really weird. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, and it looks like it would be venomous. It does. Most by, of them By all North American standards. Except the pattern did kind of look like a corn snake. So, like, I'll give it that. Yeah. Um, yeah, the same rules don't apply. No. Yeah. So, it's intimidating to, like, stare down this tiny snake. Whereas, normally, I'd just be like, I get a corn snake. Like, <laughs> no. I, I was like, woo. But apparently, again, these snakes, although they can be a little nasty and feisty, they are not venomous. Yeah, there was another time one of the guys we worked with was cutting, and he uh, usually so quick. And I also caught him one time looking up real, real carefully up into a bunch. And we were like, "What is he looking at?" We went over there, and he had he quick to notice it. It wasn't like the snake was really out and like showing itself. It was coiled around the banana. You could just barely see its body, but he saw it. And then another guy came over and he's like, I got it, man. I got it. Cut it. And so he cut it and he didn't stick his hand up in it and grab the stem. He just wrapped it around the back. And then he just yelled the whole way, <laughs> all the way to the trailer, set it on the trailer. And I think he managed to get the snake out and That's run it off. Funny. But, yeah. um, Oh, another another thing that they'll find in the bags, which is much rarer than the previous two, but it has happened, uh, lizards. But, like, big, angry uh, lizards. Yeah, I never saw one of those. Um, I think it happened twice while I was there. Um, and those lizards, I think they called them guanas. I think they're guanas. But I think they might also be monitors or... They're the same thing. I haven't yet done a deep dive to discover the differences between those particular names. Huh. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> lizards. <laughs> Another animal you'll sometimes see will be like little rock wallabies. Basically, it just looks like a kangaroo hopping around. They're just smaller versions. Um, cane toads, which I didn't believe them at first, but apparently they're poisonous, so don't touch them. Um, well, don't lick them. Yeah, they tell you to still not even touch them because I think if they get in cuts and stuff, they can still, like, make you feel bad and, like, sick. Like, I think you have to be careful. It's not that, like, you're right. You could probably handle them, but if you ever had any sort of cut and it got in it, I think it can also, like... You'd probably get an infection in the cut, yeah. Let's put it this way. Enough people have gotten sick by them that they tell you do not touch them. I think it's kind of the same rule as, like, don't handle baby turtles, where it's, like, baby turtles have a very minor chance of carrying salmonella, and what people usually do is they handle the baby turtle and they stick their hands in their mouths somehow <laughs> or like wipe their face yeah. and that's how they get it yeah so really the rule is apparently for cane toads you can handle them wash your hands immediately afterwards yeah. like rinse your whole body if you have to because they will secrete poison at you yeah that's wild so that was another creature and then a pretty common one not so common this time of year so i caught a break uh, but I did have a few jump on me. They'll like go straight for your face. They don't like attack you. They just jump on you and to get away. But they'll land straight on your face. Um, is rats? Yeah. Big old rats. Like gopher size. Like the ones you get in America too. Like the gopher rats, big ones. Um, so that's occasionally they've seen uh, not the emu, but the what's the other cassowary? name? Yeah, they've seen a couple. I didn't see any. Seen a couple cassowaries, but um, so that's. And the, the rats actually have more to them than just being there. Yeah, they're the um, most dangerous. They are actually, they're incidentally the most dangerous creature um, on the farm because rats carry leptosporosis, um, lepto for short. And that, if you are not familiar with it, is a disease that is really nasty. And it can, it can be fatal um, if you don't get treated for it. It can result in like your organs failing um 
but if you get treatment for it, you will survive. It'll just take you like a month or two to not feel sick anymore. Yeah. Uh, so lepto is pretty serious. And the way you get lepto is actually through rat pee. Um, it is in rat pee. So as you can imagine, working on a banana farm, you have a lot of opportunities to maybe get rat pee on a cut yeah. or an abrasion. And when you're when you're out harvesting them, you get so many just tiny little cuts and stuff. It's not a crazy thought to get some of that on you. It's so that's why they're pretty strict with like um, hygiene. Like they ask people like as soon as you get home, wash off like everything. Um, make sure you like come in with clean clothes. Um, they're also really picky about like footwear. This is less, less about lepto and more about like they don't want to spread diseases from banana farm to banana farm. Yeah, so like spray your shoes spray and stuff. Spray your yeah. shoes. Have one pair of work shoes that you keep on the farm that you like change into for the work day yeah. and then change out of and they never leave the farm. Yeah, car tires get sprayed. Um, there was a, I don't remember the name of it, there's a very bad disease that came through, I think a large portion of Queensland and other areas of Australia that was like dang near wiped out a lot of bananas. Like it's, oh, it, there's yeah. a reason why they're very particular about it. It's because if it gets in the soil, it doesn't go away. So it is like a disease that like once it comes you don't grow more bananas there yeah. so if it kills areas like this they literally have lost farmland for bananas so they're pretty yeah. serious about it yeah they're very very serious about their um contagion aspect so we're starting to run low on time probably already a little bit longer than our normal episodes do you have anything else big to add let me let me think about that. Because I'm thinking we do a quick a speed round. I can put most of my last little things and stories into a speed round, I think. Okay. Um, I do want to say just like a couple things. Yeah, go for it. One, working on concrete sucks. <laughs> yes, it does. Working on concrete is like the worst thing ever. I had to stay in that shed for eight and a half hours, two days out of the week, and my knees and hips acted like I was 80 years old. Yeah. And apparently the only thing that really helps that is Crocs. <laughs> That's funny. Which is really ironic. That's funny. I didn't know that that was a helpful thing, but I do know you're paying with the concrete because yes. I've worked on it before. It's yes. rough. It's the worst. That's my thing. Go. Uh, okay. So I just want to cover a few last things because uh, it's, I don't know, a few more things I want to remember. So one of the last things we didn't mention in the process, I said I uh, do the butt injecting. That is simply stabbing dead things. So there's apparently a type of beetle or grub or something that will grow in the dead tissue of the banana trees. So they- The dead mothers. Yes. So they, or even the ones you rip out of the ground, the dead babies too. Um, so, it's so morbid. It's so morbid. <laughs> so you basically take this like poison. They used to, I think, spray it, but now it's a lot safer because they actually inject it. It's really fun. You just get to poke stuff all day. Um, but you poke it, you pump it, and you move on. And you literally poke trees all day. Just yep. all the dead stuff. <laughs> um, so that was my job. Literally, I probably did that for like a total of like eight to ten days. Like so much butt injecting. Um, so that's one. And then the amount of comical and potentially very painful falls that you have <laughs> while humping. I admit, forgot to mention comedy. this. It's not so bad when things are dry because um, you got better traction. A lot of times you're wearing boots, all that good stuff. But it's terrible in the rain. And the crazy thing is I fell a couple times on my first like few days 
And then it's like I really got it under control. I like I didn't fall hardly at all. And then one day I watched one of my coworkers. I thought he had fell, but he actually just like fell to his knee. And I was like, oh no. And apparently I didn't have enough sympathy until the day we left. Any day it was raining, I was falling all over the place. <laughs> and there is like a mix of ways you can fall. Cause like you don't want to drop the bananas. If you drop the bananas too hard, you pretty much have to, just have to toss them. Uh, yeah, bruised um, bananas. So there's a bit of an art to falling because you want to save the bananas. Save the, save the babies. So like, there's a couple times where you'll be falling and you will end up managing to not fully fall. You'll go to your knee or knees. And I, there's a couple times I had that banana bunch, which is probably like 50, 60 pounds, just crunch my back. Like, I think oh. I actually like felt a couple pops because you're just like straight up and down and it just hits you hard. You're like, oh, that was so painful. So that happens. You tweak your knees and stuff all the time. All the paddocks are these little mounds where they put the trees. So you're constantly walking up and down, up and down. And you literally get good at, you know, when you step on a slope on a muddy day, you will slide like three feet. And so you'll just be like, wee, and you, but like, you don't even pause most of the time. You're just like, you just keep going all the way. Um, and then there's times where like, you'll get to go put it on the trailer. I've fallen like under the trailer before because like, you'll be sitting there and you'll just slip. And there was one time I slipped and the banana fell on me after I was literally like preparing for the banana to fall on me because I had had it on the trailer and it like, it's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think, oh, this is the story I hadn't told you. We were harvesting one day. And the guy was cutting for me, and uh, we were, I was pulling on the tree. He hadn't apparently cut it quite enough. And the banana just ripped off the whole bunch, and it just fell. And it, like, nearly hit me. And I was like, dang, how often does that happen? He goes, I've never seen that happen. And he'd worked there for, like, six months. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I think it did it to him, too, one day. So I'm thinking it might have been because it was colder. The huh. stalk may have been a little bit more brittle. Um but, yeah, uh, that was interesting. Uh, oh, funny story. So there's an Irish dude that we worked with. Most most Irish guy, like, you can find. He was find. great. He's so Irish. Um, and there was uh, one day he was my cutter. So he cuts one, pretty big one. I was really slippery that day. I start sliding all over the place. I look like I'm going to fall. And I, like, ne nearly did. Legs are shaking, like, trying to get control of it. And he's like, oh, you good, Jesse? You good? You good? And I was like, yeah, man, I'm just wrangling it. And I didn't think much about it at the time. I walked away. I just walked away, put it up. He didn't say a thing to me. Later, he's working with Natalie. He brings it up to her first. Later, we were with him at a pub, and he start, He was a little bit tipsy. Oh, he just kept telling the story. And it, you want to tell? You're better at accents. You I, tell I, don't, I really don't think I can, I can mimic his accent. Um, apparently, every time I try an Irish accent, according to that dude, I end up sounding Scottish instead, <laughs> um, which is hilarious because we also worked with the Scottish guy. Yeah. Um, but um, I, 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 I'm, I'm not even going to try to mimic his accent, but he was fascinated and just tickled pink by your use of wrangling he had never heard anyone use that term and he was like yeah that's about as american as you can get yeah he was like i'm just wrangling it he was literally <laughs> yeah. he would keep copying my accent he was yeah. sounding just like that i'm just wrangling it and he just kept saying it the whole time he was tipsy yeah, uh he said weird. he was just dying laughing yeah. as i walked away so made his day um 
one of the horrible things is there'll be days where it's not raining, but the bags, they pull water on top of the oh. bags. And whenever you cut it, even though it's not raining, it'll still dump water on you. Sometimes you'll go for a while. You really won't get a wet one. It'll be fine. You'll be going great. You're dry. You've dried off. The wind's blowing. It's great. And it'll be like right before lunch when you're going to have to go sit in the chair. And they will cut down the wettest banana. And when it, it'll go down your shirt, and then it'll go all the way down your pants, uh-huh. and down your, like, it's, oh, it's so wet. It's terrible. So that's the thing. Um, the downside I found out to uh, a lot of what we were doing for barefooted, and even on my hand, is going barefooted because you're sliding around so much. And when sometimes when you grab the bananas, I think it'll jam your fingernails sometimes is you get ingrown toenails and fingernails. Yeah, the rough side of yeah. banana life. And it's it's brutal. Like, I've probably, I've never get ingrown nails. And I probably had, like, I'd say, like, four at least since we were just on the job. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was brutal. And then the last thing, we got to work with some guys that were from an area I'd never even heard of. Mm-hmm. And I, we might even give them a better shout out on a later episodes since we're running out of time, just because I think it's a very interesting culture and the way we can talk about like their language and stuff. But they're from an uh, island. Technically, <coughs> an island republic. Yes, sorry for the cough there. Um, and I, yeah, it is a country full of islands. Um, and I think there's like 50 or 60 islands. I think they said, if I remember correctly, I can't remember what I told you now. But there's a lot of islands. Yeah, it's called Vanuatu. They speak multiple languages. There's like multiple dialects there. And this is the part we might want to talk more about later in another episode. But they speak, uh, um, I looked it up, and I think it's, dang it, Baslama? I think it's Baslama. Bislama? Bislama, yes. Bislama. Um, They speak that, which is a the same way that Haiti speaks uh, a French Creole. It's an English Creole. Which the wild thing is, sometimes they'll be telling sentences, they'll be like talking to each other, and I can't understand most of what they say. And because it's an English Creole, randomly, sometimes you'll just understand a word. And it's absolutely crazy, because you're just like, I know that word. Which, by the way, Creole is, fun fact, a type of language. It is not a like specified, like, oh, French Creole is, you know, like, that. that's the only version of Creole there is. Creole is literally like a subsection of language. And we will definitely get into that in another episode because I am fascinated by its linguistic implications. But, um... <laughs> yeah, we are so far over, so I don't want to go much farther. Yes, but, uh, but <laughs> anyways, so we worked with some guys from Vanuatu. They are lovely. Yeah. And Vanuatu actually has a cool history with Australia, which I would like to unpack in yeah. the other episode. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. They were super nice. Um... I would love to one day travel through Vanuatu. My sickness is catching up with me. I can't hardly speak. Yeah, we're both getting itchy throats. Yeah, We've it's been rough. speaking for too long. We just ran out of water, too. I'm dying. Um, but I would love to one day visit and kind of, like, see some of that area because it sounds beautiful and really cool tourist area. But those guys are really neat. And I probably should now put the funky music started up. I wish it was simple to put the banana boat song oh, in the background, yes. but our app and everything we have to deal with just doesn't, it doesn't function well with overlaying music and audio, so. Which for the record, the banana boat song was stuck in my head probably for the first three or four weeks that we worked that job. Yeah. A long time. And just to be clear, 
we did end up having to, they did end up having to let us go. Uh, we were about ready to quit anyway, just because our time to go diving was coming up. Uh, so it wasn't a big deal, but, but we are currently looking maybe for a little bit more work. Um, but our banana time is done. It was a good experience. Glad we did it. I'm so glad it's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I have a lot more respect for agricultural workers in general. Like I had respect before. Yeah. It has like tripled since actually doing that job because it is skilled labor. Like yeah. it it takes practice, it takes skill, it is a learned thing. And sometimes you're just not cut out for it. Sometimes you like there there have apparently been people who have started, done a day and then quit. Yeah. So it's it, hard work. It is it's such hard work. I will say I've between construction and the different stuff that I've had to do at my last job, like I've I've done a lot of hard work, and this, and you were even a part of the intern summer where it was some of the hardest work we had done. The humping bananas was was up there. It was like if I had to do this five days a week, months, for months yes. at a time. Gladly, we were only doing it two days out of our four day work week. But if I had to do that five days a week, I don't know if I could make it. Like it takes such a toll on your body. Yeah. I don't to think I've slept that. that good. And I didn't even do humping. I, yeah. I was just packing. Like I've slept, I've slept very good since we started this job. Yeah, I mean, I sleepwalk about bananas, so <laughs> that's maybe a story for another. Yeah, I think we'll just leave it right there. But, but yeah, banana workers—they deserve your respect. So. And now you know when you look at the cluster in the store, everything that there is to know about how that cluster got there. That's right. Well, anyway, till next time. Look for the unexpected. Is that a good motto to end with? That terrible laugh, I hope, reflects what you like the reality of how bad that was. Yeah, maybe by season two we'll figure out a, an outro. Probably not. <laughs>